Well, how are you all doing? I haven't seen you in two weeks. And as I come back and return, I want us to go back into the topic that we have been studying together, into his likeness. I started this about six weeks ago or so. Week one was called Into His Likeness, based off of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is a quick review. We learned in that message that the purpose of life is to walk with Jesus so we can be transformed into his likeness. And then week two of this series, we looked at the Holy Trinity. Because if we're going to be created into his likeness, we have to understand God's likeness. And what's God's likeness? Well, he's made in the, well, not made, he's in the Trinity model of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what did we learn from that message? We learned that we are created in the Trinity model as well, mind, body, and spirit. And as we started talking about the mind in week three, that was the topic on knowing God based off of Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. We learned there that stillness of our mind allows us to recognize and know God. If we can be still, then we can know God. And what happens when we know God? We know Jesus. We know peace. Then two weeks ago, week four, we talked about taken by God. This was Enoch's story. And from Enoch's story, we learned that if your mind is to walk with God, you experience what? Salvation. What happened to Enoch? He walked with God for those 365 years, and then what does the Bible say? Then he was no more. He was brought to heaven by God. So if your mind is to walk with God, you then experience salvation. So we continue this theme. We continue this topic into his likeness. And today's message is called On Things Above. On things above. When I think of on things above, I remember my mom one day telling me this was going to be the first time I was going to walk home from school. Has anyone here ever walked home from school? Yes, yeah, but the older generation, I, I'm not saying older, you're not, you guys aren't older. <laughs> I, I'm part of that generation, right? I'm part of that generation. I walked home from school. But it was a big, it was a big step. Titus, it was a big step for me because my mom gave me permission to walk home from school. I can't remember how old I was anymore. Maybe I was 11 or 12. But I had permission to walk home from school. Now, here is the problem. I lose keys. I lose anything that I put in my pocket. So my mom anticipated this. And she put the key at a, at a specific spot on the door, above the door. And next to the door, there's a platform that I can climb and I can pick the key, right? Of course, she was, you know, I was busy when she was telling me the night before on what the instructions were on how I would get the key. I wasn't paying attention, Titus. She said, Edre, as soon as you walk home from school and you get, uh, you get home, you're going to find the key at the top of the door. You're going to have to reach for it. You're going to have to climb that platform, and you're going to have to reach for it, okay? I think it was a garden box. I can't remember exactly. But I was going to reach for it. 
guess what? I didn't listen to her. I didn't listen to her when she told me the instructions to reach above the door to find the key. And so that day when I was leaving school to go home, I was all excited that I got to walk home from school. I was bragging to my friends. I'm like a big kid now, you know. I'm walking home from school. So finally, I walked that mile and a half. I get to the front door, and then I realize, wait a minute, how do I go inside? I don't have a key to my pocket because my mom didn't want to give me the key. Instead, she said, I think she was going to hide the key somewhere. But where did she hide it? I know she told me something the night before. Last night, she told me something. But what, what was it that she said? Adresi, you don't listen. And I couldn't remember what she said. Can you guess what happened next? I waited outside in hot Texas weather for the next four hours until my dad came home. I had to wait outside. I didn't know how to climb the fence. I would have climbed the fence if I was just a little taller to, to at least get in the backyard, but I waited at the front door. This was a time before cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone to call my mom. But if I had listened, I would have realized the key to my home was right above my head. Well, if we look at Colossians 3, 1 and 2, God puts the key into his heavenly kingdom right above our head on things above. What is that key? Where is that key that God has put above our head? Well, here's what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. And here's the key into heaven. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, because we're talking about our minds, right? Mind, body, spirit. Mind, body, spirit. We're still on minds. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. If you do that, if you set your mind on things above, you have the kingdom, you have the key to get into the kingdom of God. You have the key to get into heaven. And what is that key? Who is that key? Well, what does the Bible text say? It says here that we're Christ. Christ is the one that's up above, seated on the right hand of God. So where should we set our hearts and minds on? It's not just on things above, but on Jesus. To set your heart and your minds on Jesus. When Pastor David spoke last week, I told him I was going to move on to body. And he gave a wonderful sermon on rituals and, and how our body, uh, through the rituals that we have, brings us closer to God and brings us closer to each other. And I was ready and prepared to talk about body, but then I thought about it some more and I prayed about it and I realized I think I need to stay on mind. Just one more Sabbath. Because the last two sermons on mind has focused on what does God do for us, but now I want you to know that you and I have a responsibility with this mind. What should we, what should we have our mind on? It's not earthly things, 
It's on Jesus. We should have our mind on Jesus. And if you think about our day in society, our culture right now, when people are sad, when people are depressed, when people are anxious, some turn to what? They don't turn to Jesus. Some turn to substances. And so when they turn to substances, those substances become addictions. Some people might not turn to substances. They might turn to other things, perhaps something lustful. Perhaps they think money will solve their problems. So they focus more on getting more money, however that may look like, legally or illegally, stealing or working so hard that you don't have time for your family. You see what happens when you focus on earthly things and not on Jesus. So when you feel yourself distraught, when you feel yourself saddened by grief, when you feel yourself angry or alone, the best thing to do at that moment is to turn and reach for your key that's above your head, and that is Jesus Christ. In that moment, when you turn to him, you will have the answers that you seek. I believe that 100%. Now let's break down this verse or this passage. The first thing I want to point out is this first phrase where it says, you have been raised. When it says you have been raised, if we're taking a look at it just at first glance, you may think that it's just talking about you as the individual. But no, when you go back to the Greek, the Greek is suneger thete, thete, suneger thete. Uh, Pastor David, correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) So uh, that word, if you were to literally translate that word for word, it means you all have been raised. It's in the plural form. It's not talking about just one person. So what this means then is that God wants us to all raise up together, to rise up together, not one person left behind. And this Greek word, we actually get an English word from this Greek word. It's actually synergy. Synergy, you may have heard this word, but if you don't know the definition, I have it up here for you. According to Oxford uh, Dictionary, it says, Synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. You might be wondering, what does that mean? Here's what it really means. Two is better than one. That's all it really means. The power that I bring to the table and uh, Renee brings to the table is greater than as if we were working separately. To illustrate this point, I like to go on YouTube every now and then and watch videos. And I'll watch some random videos. Like one day I, I searched, in case I find myself falling off a cliff, what should I do? And you're probably wondering, why are you searching for that, Ed Ray? It's practical, right, David? Yeah, it's practical. We live in Colorado. I love to hike. And one day I was thinking, what happens if I fall off this cliff? What, should I, what shall I ever do? Well, if there is someone with me, there is actually a strategy, strategy that you can use to get yourself up 
off of the side of a cliff. So there's this guy. His name is Ben, ben Hope. No, Ben Echo. He has his own channel on YouTube. So you, you can look, look him up and you'll find this video. Ben Echo, uh, he's the guy at the center reaching down for his friend, that, uh, the, his lady friend. Ben Echo gave this tutorial on how to lift someone up on the side of a cliff. And you don't have to have muscles like him either if you do it wisely. So on this video clip, he did several different takes, different methods, and a lot of the methods failed until he tried this method on the center. He realized what he can do is grab his friend with one arm, but that's not enough strength on his part. He just can't lift 150 pounds or 120 pounds, however much she weighs. Now, if it's a full-grown male adult who stands 6'3", maybe that's 230 pounds. Can you lift that with one arm? No, you can't. So then what he realized is, I can lift up my friend just enough until they can grab onto something. So that's where she's grabbing onto this platform. Once she grabs onto that platform, what he can do next for the few seconds that she's holding on to that platform, he's going to put his legs elbow or shoulder uh, width apart and bring his hands down. And with both hands, he'll pick, up, pick her up by her arms and then lift not only with his arms, but also with his back as well as his legs. He's going to lift up. Not all the way, mind you. Until she can reach over with her leg, then both of them work together until she is safely on the ledge. Isn't that brilliant? That is the prime example of synergy. That is the prime example of that Greek word where we are raised up together. Now the thing is, you and I don't only lift each other up. It's Jesus that also lifts us up. Jesus' love, Jesus' compassion, Jesus' attitude that trickles down to us that we learn how to respect each other once uh, as well. And through that respect and through that love, we lift up the Spirit of God. Especially if we find ourselves in a situation where one of us is in a dire situation. So going back to this key text, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then, it should say, you all have been raised together with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If we continue on with this passage, we will see that Paul does something that's quite interesting here. He does a compare and contrast of earthly things versus heavenly things. Let's read together. You'll see in verse 5 through 8 that these are earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. See, you don't walk in these ways anymore. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. If this were to read in our translation today, it would probably say that there is no Greek or Jew, black or white, male or female, right? Rich or poor. For Christ is, is all and is in all. So from verses 5 through 8, or I think we read all the way to verse 11, Paul distinguishes the earthly nature as these types of behavior. You might be sitting there right now and you're wondering, well, where's my nature there? I don't, I know. I've experienced anger. There was a time where I experienced rage. And I would possibly venture out to say that greed, that is a stumbling block of mine at one time in life. And if I'm not careful, I can fall into those traps once again. All of these things are relatable to to, to us because this is something that you and I have experienced. But Paul is telling us that we should grow out of that, especially if we claim to have Jesus in our lives because a Jesus follower, a Christian, is someone that's different. Verse 12 to 14, let's read that together. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. He says, clothe yourselves. What does that mean? Put it on. Wear it around you. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He continues on to verse 13. Bear with each other. Are you able to bear with each other when the other one does something wrong? Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this text that we're studying today, where it says, put your hearts and minds on things above, if we do so, this becomes the result. This becomes the result. Someone might look at this list. Someone might read Colossians chapter 3 and they might think it's legalistic. But it's not legalistic. And you know why? Because this has nothing to do with doing. This is more the summary or the byproduct of your relationship with Christ. Does that part make sense? This is not you trying to stay away from evil desires or greed or lust. Because if you walk with Jesus, if you have Jesus in your heart, 
you will naturally have the heavenly nature. See, it's not about doing. It's about, about living with Christ, obeying Christ's commands and will and his desires, and you will naturally become compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, and loving. It's like what Jesus said. You will understand what that tree is all about when you can see its fruit. This might sound like a judgment statement from me, but if I were to learn someone, I get to learn someone, and I see what their actions are, well, their actions will tell me where their heart is, right? Right? If someone says they love me, but then they strike me the second they get the chance to, with, with envious greed, perhaps, that, does, that doesn't tell me that their heart is loving me. Instead, it tells me that they have a hate towards me, and that's why they struck me. That is what this is. If you have a relationship with Christ, this, the heavenly nature, naturally, it naturally, naturally comes out. It's a consequence of God's love. So what can you do with this? Well, okay. Okay. So what can we do with this? We can actually use this as a thermometer. Okay, clicking now. You can actually use this as a thermometer for spiritual maturity. You've heard me say this in other sermons before. I think spiritual maturity, we grow in spiritual maturity the more we walk with Christ. And how can we use this as a thermometer for, for Jesus? Oh, it's not working again. Imagine a thermometer, okay? A thermometer... What does a thermometer do for us? It tells us what the temperature is outside. It tells us if it's 32 degrees outside and you should wear a coat, or it can tell us that it's 100 degrees outside. Bless those who are in Arizona. I think they've had 110 degree weather for 30 days straight. You know, so a, a thermometer can also tell you when it's hot. Well, we can use this text. Colossians chapter 3, this entire chapter, we can use it as a thermometer for us. Because if we find ourselves leaning more towards the earthly things, then that should be a rebuke to you that you need to grow more towards the other side, towards the side with Jesus, right? Towards the side with Jesus. Is that me or you? Oh, it's you, okay. Cool. No, that's okay. Thank you, Richard. Okay, there you go. It's a nice little graphic. So the question is, are you so affixed on earthly things that you are cold-hearted? Or are you on fire for Jesus? 
Are you on fire for Jesus? Your behavior will show you and others where your heart is for Jesus and for others. And that's the point of this message. See, our key text, I'm going to read it again. Actually, it's here on the next slide. Oh, no, it's not. Our key text, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Our key text does not talk about earthly riches. This whole entire chapter of Colossians chapter 3 is all about your attitude. It's all about your attitude. Are you affixed to earthly things that you become greedy, angry, sad, horrible, or are you fixed on heavenly things because your eyes are on Jesus, so you long for heavenly things? Therefore, your fruit will be compassion, humility, and love. Here's a closing thought for you. It's the continuation of Colossians 3. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach. And look at this part. As you teach and admonish one another. Do we admonish each other enough? That's a question I'd like to ask. Do we affirm each other enough? As we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what now? What now? How, do, how should this speak to us as Castle Rock Adventist Church? Let's get real for a second. Let's get real for a second. This very topic that we talked about today, earthly things. Now you know what I'm talking about by earthly things, right? You saw the breakdown in heavenly things. Have we been guilty as a church that we have had earthly things on our heart that have caused people to leave our church. Hmm. Think about that for a second. Have we lived out earthly things or heavenly things? Here's a study by the Barna Group done in 2019. The Barna Study on Church Attendance. This is pre-COVID. Top five reasons. The first reason for why people... Uh, oh, this study was done by, uh, for young adults from the age of 18 through the age of 35. I guess I'm not young anymore or a young adult anymore, but that's okay. It says the number one reason for not attending church is church is irrelevant, hypocritical, and has moral failure. That's according to those who participated in this study. Number two reason, God is missing in the church. 
And the way they determined that is that the people within the church were fighting amongst each other. So they assume that God is not even there because they're not living out love and forgiveness, right? Number three is that there's legitimate doubt. Uh, legitimate doubt is prohibited. What does that mean? It's when someone questions the Bible or someone questions, does, does God really exist? Well, we as church people, me as a pastor and uh, elders, we shouldn't just go ahead and close the door on someone that says, hey, is God really there? That's a legit question. Engage that, you know, with compassion and love, with an open heart. So that's the third reason why people don't go to church, because there's legitimate doubt. Uh, legitimate doubt is prohibited. Number four, they're not learning about God. People want to go to church to learn about God. And, and these people who did this survey feel like they have not learned about God. And then number five, no sense of togetherness or community. No sense of togetherness or community. What's the culprit here? The culprit is what we just studied in Colossians chapter 3. The culprit is because we might be too greedy to go ahead and say the other person is right. We might be too stubborn. We just want to fight. We want to bicker. But in, in reality, what Paul tells us is we should have a heart of love. And we can only get that if we look up. That's the key to heaven. That's, that's the key to a successful church. If you look at these top five reasons, irrelevance, hypocrisy, and moral failure, isn't that the topic we talked about today? Yeah. God is missing in the church. That's the topic that we talked about today. Legitimate doubt is prohibited. That's a topic we talked about today. They're not learning about God. Well, if we're fighting with each other, then, then no one's focused on God, if anything. That, that's the topic of today. And number five, no sense of togetherness or community. Well, if we're fighting with each other, there's no community. Top five reasons why young adults don't come to church can be solved if we just look up on things above. That's my appeal to you as a church family today. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm speaking in generalities, but at the same time, if your heart is touched by this, it's probably because the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you something. So my encouragement to you is to listen to the Holy Spirit and pray about it. To pray about it. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, as we are shaped and transformed into your likeness, we're accountable to looking up. You're doing all the heavy lifting. You're the one that's pulling us up off of the side of the cliff. And all we need to do is lift our eyes up and trust in you. But even then, sometimes we come, fall, we come short of that, O oh Lord. And so, number one, I ask for forgiveness of our, of our faults and our shortcomings. And then number two, I ask for your grace to be upon us, that you give us an opportunity to learn your ways and to live out the compassion and the love that, that comes from you. And number three, I pray, O oh Lord, that we can be a church that reaches people authentically with genuine love from your Holy Spirit. I pray, O oh Lord, that this church may always be a church for all people, 
that all are welcome through this door, through these doors, so they can find you in their life. May this church family represent your love. May you teach us how to love so we can represent that love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.